Turn your Bibles to Psalm 16. As we continue going through the Psalms this summer. If using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 453. I'm going to channel my inner old man this morning a little bit. You know, it was one of the funniest backhanded compliments I ever got was from a friend. He said, you oscillate between teenager and old man faster than anyone I've ever met. I think it was a compliment. We don't know. Well, back in my day, some of you remember back in my day really well. <laughs> Let me give you a couple. Back in my day, we didn't have smartphones. We didn't even have cell phones. Back in my day, we had dial-up internet and no internet at all. Back in my day, we had to walk to school, uphill, both ways. I remember as a kid trying to figure out if that was actually possible, and I don't think I ever succeeded in that. Well, back in my day, we didn't have video games. We had sticks and dirt. And you know what? We liked it. Now, We've all heard some version. Maybe we've even surprised ourselves by saying it a few times. And if you can remove the usual accompanying snarky attitude, rarely are these given in a time of great genuineness. But what are we trying to do? We're trying to change perspective. We're trying to bring someone along usually younger and show them just how good they have it. Because oftentimes, just our perspective on something changes our whole outlook of the situation. That sometimes it really is just your bad attitude. And sometimes we need to be corrected and shown just how good we actually have it. God's Word does this for us in a better way than just talking about the old days. Because while nostalgia can often clean up the old days, they say the good old days were good old days because we don't remember the good old days, and that a bad memory does more to help our view of the good old days. But Psalm 16 corrects our view of the world. In a world in which it is easy to focus on what we do not have or what we do not get, Psalm 16 brings into focus God's goodness and his blessing on our lives. And so allow me this morning to change your perspective, to reorient 
your thinking and to better understand the goodness and the generosity of our God. So let's look at Psalm 16. If you're following along in the outline provided in your bulletin, you'll see our big idea this morning is we can have joy in our lives because of the goodness and generosity of God. Let's start point number one, the good master in verses one through four. Follow along as I read. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. This psalm opens with a description of God as refuge. The psalmist begins by crying out, Preserve me, O God. We see the goodness of God in protecting and being a safe place for his people. And that function leads to, in verse 2, a declaration of commitment to God. So notice in most modern English translations, there's two lords there, one in all caps and one with just a capital L. So what he's saying is, Lord, all caps, is sort of the first name of God as the God of Israel. So he says to the Lord, you are my Lord or master or king. There is a commitment to God. And that even coming under the Lord, even following the Lord as master and king, the psalmist can say, I have no good apart from you. This connects to a theme throughout your Bible that the only true freedom is found in serving the Lord. That the route of blessing comes in humbling ourselves in following the Lord. We see this in verses 3 and 4. At first, it's hard to see how these connect, but look at verses 3 and 4. You have two groups of people. Now, the Psalms are a part of wisdom literature, just like Proverbs. And because of that, they often create sort of two paths. Here's the path that is the godly path, and here's the path that runs away from God is the wicked path. So we see this in verses 3 and 4. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So we have two people, the saints, the holy ones, the godly, and those who run after another god, or for today we'll call them the idolaters. There's two groups. And the idea is that you can follow either group. Which group are you going to follow? 
David points out that the saints in the land, the godly ones who follow God, are excellent. They are worthy to be followed. And in fact, he says at the end of verse 3, in whom is all my delight. The author finds joy in observing and watching godly people. Because he knows they are following the right master. And he knows that a life of following God leads to joy. As opposed to the life that runs away from God, we see in verse 4, the sorrow of those who ran after another God shall multiply. The person who follows the people who are godly find delight instead of sorrow. You know, last week when we had our Independence Day barbecue after church, it was so good to see the blessing of our church family remain together after the service. I mean, we got to see things like Pastor Dave jump in on the tug of war. That was pretty great. He really tipped the scales for us on that one. (laughs) But what we see there in the intermingling of everybody is what the church should be. That the saints of this church, usually, not always, usually the older ones who have followed God for a long time, are with the younger to show them what it is like to follow the good master. At least that's what we should be doing. But that is where joy is found, not sorrow. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. The psalmist is saying, follow the saints of old. Find them excellent. And in doing so, find the joy that comes in following your God. God is good because following him in a life of love and obedience, is what brings joy and delight. Rebelling from him only brings sorrow. And so we even see in this aspect of our relationship with God, of following and serving him, even that is a source of joy and gladness. In the next verses, verses 5 to 6, the psalmist moves to another way that God is good to us. And we see this in God being the good provider. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Let's start in verse 5 there. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Most often these words together, the idea of portion and cup, speak to your food and your drink. 
sort of the necessities of life, what you need to live. The Lord is what you need. And not only is he himself what you need and what can satisfy you, but in the second part of verse 5, you hold my lot. You hold what is a portion for me. So in verse 5, we see that God is what we need in every way, but he also provides what we need. And in verse 6, we see that he is generous with us and that he gives generously to us. And David does this by talking about using the analogy of land. Again, we're in the Old Testament, we're speaking to the people of Israel, and one of the greatest gifts that God gave the people of Israel was the promised land. Again, transport yourself back into a time where you needed land to survive, whether to have animals or to have crops. Okay, no Costco back then. You are your own Costco. Maybe that's some of your guys' dream, to be your own Costco. Anyway, I digress. But again, throughout the Old Testament, God comes back to this idea of God as generous and as providing by giving the people the land. And so we see in verse 6, the lines, meaning sort of what we would call today property lines, right? The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, what does it mean that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places? And I want to use sort of modern categories to think through what this might mean. When you think of the lines falling in a pleasant place, I think the first one we might think of is location. Right? So here, you know, do you have waterfront property? <laughs> or can you see the mountains from your house? Or maybe some of you, the pleasant places, are there enough trees around you so that you don't see anybody else? We'll talk about that later, okay? So that's one way to think about of, of location, of it is where it is needed to be. But then also, when we talk about the lines fallen, falling in pleasant places, we might also think of size. Right? So they've fallen in pleasant places, meaning I have a big tract of land. And both of those speak to the generosity of God. This physical picture of God's generosity in his blessing. And imagine, if you will, you purchase a piece of property on the island and you go there and you discover, oh, you can see the mountains from there. And you're like, great location, better than I thought it was. And then you're there with your realtor and you realize, oh, that property line shouldn't be there. It should be way over there and you have another acre on your property that you didn't even know about. That is the picture of God's generosity. And it's something that we need to understand that every day 
God is more generous with us than we could ask. And oftentimes he is generous in ways that we didn't even expect. But also in verse 6, we see that David refers to this land as inheritance. It's a great reminder that we do not earn the blessing of God. But because of his grace and his mercy towards us, he gives us what we need and so much more. And a part of understanding the goodness of God is understanding his great and abundant provision for us. I love the verse from James chapter 1. Easy to remember, easy to memorize. James 1, 17, the first part. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. As we continue in the psalm, we move to the next aspect of God's goodness and blessing towards us. And in verses 7 to 8, we see that God not only provides for us, but he is our good leader. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Here the Lord is described as one who gives counsel. And primarily when we understand this, we understand that the Lord gives his counsel to us through his word. But we also see in the second part of 7, in the night also my heart instructs me. And how do we understand that? I think we see both of the ways, the main ways that God gives us instruction and leads us, and that is through his word and through the Holy Spirit. Psalm 119 describes God's word as being hidden in our hearts. And my heart can instruct when I have memorized God's word and bring it to mind, even when I do not have the book open. And we know especially just getting done with John chapter 16 a couple weeks ago, that through Christ we have the gift of the Holy Spirit leading us and convicting us and empowering us to live a godly life. There's joy to be found in that we are not left adrift in this world. And when we meditate on the word of God and as the Spirit works inside us, we can have joy knowing that the Lord is leading and counseling us. When we need to know what to do, how to live, how to respond to the circumstances around us, it can quickly steal our joy. But when we know that the Lord is giving us counsel, that verse 8, the Lord is at our right hand, we can live with confidence. Verse 8, I shall not be shaken. 
We are not shaken because the Lord is with us and is near. He is not shouting to us from far away, but the picture is of the Lord being right next to us, walking with us, showing us, guiding us. And he is the one that we pursue. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. The picture is of God is walking ahead of us and we are pursuing him. And when we pursue God, when we pursue his holiness, we have confident joy. We will not be shaken. David ends the psalm after speaking of the goodness of God in all these different facets. And in verses 9 to 11, he summarizes the good life that he has. Verse 9, Therefore, because of all of this, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because of the goodness and the blessing of God, the generosity of God, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. When we truly understand the goodness of God toward us and the blessing of God towards us, then we are able to be people of joy and gladness. I think it is all too easy to become bitter and angry. And what the Bible tells us is that one of the reasons you might be bitter or angry is because you have lost sight of the goodness of God. David adds and sort of brings back these ideas of why we are glad and why we have joy. The first one, if we're making categories out of this, is security. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells Secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. This goes back to the early idea of God as our refuge. God as our security. God is the one in whom we trust. But it also speaks to a dynamic that we see in verses 9 to 11 of the present and the future. So we trust God with our security today, but we also look forward to eternity when we will be completely secure. That is the joy of the Christian, that eternal life is coming, but we also enjoy these benefits in part today. 
look at this as we see the second category of life of joy and blessing. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. Again, there's two levels here. There is the path, the life that is lived in godliness and holiness that gives life. When we live out the way God has called us to live, we experience the abundant life today. But we also know that this speaks to eternity. That Jesus called himself the way, the path to the Father, not just for a little bit, not just in this life, not just in our actions, but for eternity. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. Again, there are both aspects here. That being in God's presence and the sense of being in relationship with him through Christ and living out that relationship and obedience to him will bring fullness of joy. Again, we go back to earlier in the text. Those who run away from God, what do they experience? Sorrows. But being in relationship with God today brings joy. And we know that this joy will be complete when Christ returns and we are completely and fully in the presence of our Lord for eternity. At your right hand are pleasures, not for a little bit, not for just now, not just as long as we're good, but forevermore. Central to a life of joy and understanding the goodness of God is understanding the hope, the future hope that we have in eternal life. That through Christ, we will experience seeing our God face to face for eternity. That we will experience the perfection of eternal life where death itself dies, the great enemy. And we will experience God's blessing and his goodness forevermore. So as we conclude this morning hearing from God's word, I just want us to be thinking about how is God good to us? How has God been good to me? How has God been good to you? Number one, God is our refuge. God is our strength and our shield, our ever-present help in times of trouble. Number two, God provides for us with great generosity. Your boundary markers have fallen in pleasant places and the Lord has been good to you and will continue to be good to you.
Number three, God guides us and leads us by the word and through the spirit. You're not alone in following after God. You're not alone in pursuing holiness and living the life that pleases God. He counsels you through his word and in the spirit. And finally, number four, God gives us full life and joy now and into eternity. When we repent of our sins and place our trust in Christ, we begin a life that is full of joy. Because we have been reconciled to the God who loves us and is good to us. And as we live out that life of love and obedience, even serving him is a source of joy because every command is for his glory and our good. And as we wait for the day where we see our Savior face to face, we can be glad and full of joy as we wait for that day when we are at his right hand and experience his pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us. God, that you would correct our hearts and our minds this morning that we would look around and see how you are good to us, how you have been good to us, and trust that you will be good to us. God, that we would not take that for granted, that we would not become bitter and angry, but God, that our minds would be transformed by the truth that you are so good and generous with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite those who are helping to serve